0: What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. This episode of The Forecast is sponsored by Clinic Drug, located in Morganton, North Carolina, and serving the surrounding community since 1938. Clinic Drug has a large selection of Nature's Bounty vitamins, Briar Lane Home and Garden Flags, Russell Stover's Candies, and Thai Stuffed Animals. Clinic Drug offers free delivery and 24-7 unparalleled service. Clinic Drug turns no patient away. For more information, call them at 828-584-0741. Or you can find them on Facebook or go to their website, www.clinicdrug.com. Your health is our priority at Clinic Drug. Hello and welcome to The Forecast. We are your connection to the who's who in the game of golf. We hope to make you listen, laugh, and learn to win and grow your golf IQ. I'm your host, Alan Burton, Director of Instruction for the Alan Burton Golf Academy at Lake Hickory Country Club in Hickory, North Carolina. Thank you to our listeners for tuning in and to our show sponsors. Find us on TheMesh.tv and all your favorite podcast platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Radio, iHeartRadio, and Google Play, and, of course, all the other shows here on TheMesh.TV. They're produced right here in western North Carolina. Um, you know, advertising on The Mesh Podcast Network is a low-cost way to reach a targeted audience. For more information on advertising on this show or other shows on The Mesh Network, you can send us an email to info at themesh.tv Or by visiting the Mesh website at www.themesh.tv and clicking the advertise button. Hey, this morning I'm joined by someone I'm very, very happy to have with us, uh, Mr. Bob Kepka. He's the father of Brooks Kepka and Chase Kepka. He's down in South Florida this morning joining us. Hey, man, thanks for joining us on the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Alan.
0: Hey, it's my pleasure. I I really. want to start out by saying um, you know you got a lot of things kind of keep you occupied down there I'm sure you probably have your family close by hoping these unprecedented times you guys are doing okay.
1: Yeah we're doing well I mean uh, you know it was a little rough stretch down here for the end of March and whole all of April where we couldn't get out and play any golf um, which we all love to do and things are starting to get back to where we're able to play some golf and uh, hopefully get the rest of the businesses in the area open back up shortly and get back to some normalcy.
0: Yeah, it's definitely been a challenge. Uh, Our golf course has been open here in Hickory, um, but a lot of adjustments, you know, to playing the game and separate uh, carts for every golfer and, and a lot of walkers and that type of thing. And trying to adapt to a situation and uh, you know it's been difficult certainly been some adjustments on on uh, the instruction side of things too I've tried to learn how to teach through the internet a little more and um, you know but we're getting through it I'm going to go back to teaching full-time in person myself here on Saturday I'm looking forward to that are you going to try and play golf yourself a little later today
1: Uh, not today. Um, our course is closed on Thursdays, um, for the maintenance and everything, but, uh, I played a little bit yesterday and uh, I'll get out this weekend and chase a little white ball around.
0: Oh, good. That's great to hear it. I know we had a conversation on the phone the other day. I know your buddies are probably not looking forward to getting their clocks cleaned again. When you come back out there, the way you're playing and chipping the golf ball, you said you chipped in a number of times on them the other day. And that's probably a pretty regular occurrence. It seems like so. There well,
1: I got, uh, I got pretty fortunate. Uh, last time I played with one of the uh, guys that he's a really good amateur player. And, and, uh, when you're playing with somebody that's a scratch or something like that, you got to step up your game. And I was fortunate enough, uh, uh, against him i chipped in four times in the first 10 holes and um, <laughs> three of them were for birdie one was for par and he wasn't too happy about it and then last weekend i i drew him again and i chipped in twice on him and <laughs> he said he just wants to get on my team
0: <laughs> exactly he needs to draw better doesn't he that's yeah that's fantastic well i mean it, it bodes well you know you have um you you've raised two boys there playing some really good golf and there's obviously some reasons that that has taken place and uh, I myself as a dad of a young fellow who's trying to play the game at at a high competitive level and and get better I'm fascinated by what what your boys are doing and have done and uh, it's just a great story and I want to talk to you some more today about that and how how your role as a dad has uh, helped perpetuate their success in the game um you know, I, I got to meet your uh, your son Chase in person. We got to watch him play a little bit in a practice round in Wilmington a few years back at the Wells Fargo for practice rounds with a player that I was working with a little bit, and it was it was really fun to watch his game. He was right down the middle and on the green and chips and putts like you do, and uh, there's a reason he's playing at a high level. He's really he brought his game back over to America, I understand, and got qualified little conditional status this year for the, uh, the corn Ferry tour. And then everything kind of comes to a halt. Uh, how do you see that progressing, uh, this year as, as, um, uh, you know, they get back to playing a little competitive golf. I'm hopeful they'll get back in June. Is that kind of the current status you're seeing? They'll get back to some competitive golf in June.
1: Yeah. It looks like the corn Ferry tour is going to start up in, um, in June, I believe up at uh, TPC Sawgrass up in, in Ponte Vedra. Mm-hmm. um, you know, with, uh, everybody sitting at home and anxious to play, I'm sure the, when they first get started, you know, anybody who's got an opportunity to play is going to play. Um, yeah. so with him having some conditional status, mm-hmm. you know, he's got to have a few guys, um, not play in order for him to get in. He's on the, I guess, a short waiting list. Um, But they've got a compact schedule. They're playing every week up until, I think, September. So, you know, guys Mm -hmm. aren't going to play every week. Um, So, you know, hopefully he gets a few opportunities there maybe, um, you know, in early July and can get out there and play well. That's the key. If you play well, the opportunities will open up for you.
0: Yeah, and I think what's interesting with what has happened um, is probably the first time in – in the history of the sport that we've seen this type of um you know halt in competitive events and therefore it's going to be an interesting thing to see players as they get back in that competitive arena and how they deal with that having not been able to you know to stay consistently prepared in the competitive mindset so it'll be interesting for us to watch as as fans to see how they do get back in the saddle and you know, go head-to-head and come down the stretch and see how they handle that, you know, after being absent from that for so long. Any thoughts you have on that and what you think we'll see?
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of other factors going to be interesting for them, too, is, you know, not having spectators um, out there and, you know, uh, grandstands. You know, spectators and grandstands help these players out quite a bit, not just from the motivation standpoint, but if they hit one one astray – Um, it's hard for a pro to lose a golf ball um, for so many people around to to spot it for them. And, you know, now with the, you know, you've got only three minutes to locate a golf ball. And if the rough is up, uh, you know, they're going to have a few volunteers out there, but you know, it's hard. I mean, I volunteered years ago and, you know, it's hard to pick up the ball sometimes in the sky. And uh, if they know a proximity, you know, three minutes goes by quick. So I think, you're going to see some shots that, um, that normally, you know, would kick off a grandstand and keep them close to the green where they could flop a shot up there where it's going to go a little further away and make that up and down more difficult. And I won't be surprised to see, a, you know, an increase in the number of lost balls. And I don't, I don't it's not going to, you know, mm-hmm. change the scores dramatically, but, uh, you know, it, it could definitely make a big difference.
0: Oh, I think that's a great point. Yeah, absolutely. Something I haven't really even considered, too, with the absence of the fans and the grandstands you mentioned. That's really a good point. I mean, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. And, um, you know, as a fan of golf, I'm, I'm certainly excited to see him get back into those trenches and play a little bit, too. So I'm chomping at the bit to watch him, uh, see how that kind of progresses. But, uh, you know, your, your son Brooks has really done an amazing thing. I noticed on social media where he's – through his um, Brooks Kepka foundation has donated a hundred thousand dollars to the the local community down there through the community foundation to help with this COVID um, you know, response fund. And that's just an amazing thing. I think that's something that you as, as a parent have got to be tremendously proud of and, and to see your son step up like that and do that. That's awesome. You know, kudos to him for sure.
1: Yeah. Thank you. I am proud of him. And, you know, and I, it's not just him there's a lot of athletes in various sports and and influential people that are that are helping out in various ways and i think it's nice that he he and, and these other people give back to those that are in need and you know to help us get through this difficult situation that we're in
0: yeah absolutely well there's a lot to be proud of not just on the golf course but off the golf course he's he's stand up dude and uh How's his knee? Is everything good with the knee? I know he had some issues last year with the knee.
1: Yeah, um, he's fine. Um, you know, I think uh, he, it was bothering him, I guess, last summer. And uh, so right after uh, the tour championship, uh, you know, he was having it worked on and everything and thought it was, you know, back at 100%. And he had an unfortunate situation over in the CJ Nines Cup and, in uh, South Korea where he slipped on some wet concrete and, you know, wrenched his knee and, and uh, injured it further and that caused him to shut it down. But, uh, uh, you know, it it's fine. Um, it's not going to affect his golf game. He's he's itching to go. I think, uh, um, you know, he he's dealt with these situations before where he's had to sit out, you know, even before with the wrist injury, he missed the one masters. I think it was, I want to say two years ago and came back right, right after that. And, you know, one, uh, one, uh, I think it was the U S open, um, and the PGA. So, uh, mm-hmm. I think he'll come back ready to go. He's, he's not one that has to play every day to, to kind of get sharp. I mean, he's, he's had layoff yeah. and he gets out there and he puts a couple weeks in of, you know, preparation and he's ready to go.
0: Yeah. That, that's always impressive to see. And, you know as um as he's coming back into this competitive arena uh we're going to be pulling for him we're going to be seeing more majors I'm sure is there uh, is there something in particular that you think um really steered him in the direction of being uh so focused on his fitness and really driven in that fitness arena as a lot of golfers in today's game really are where where do you think that started for brooks and uh, where did that inspiration to become so physically fit um come from
1: well i think it all gets tied back to tiger woods um you know tiger changed the way golfers um prepared for golf not just you know swinging a golf club and things but uh you know exercising and when he was in high school uh, my wife and i got him a membership uh at a local gym because uh, he said, "I want to, you know, I want to start training and everything," and so we were, we were all for that. And uh, you know, he just went over there on his own and got in there, and and he just took a liking to it. Uh, yeah. Not everybody likes going in and lifting weights and you know, going through that, uh, you know, that exercise. And he he just took a fascination to it. And you know, I remember him coming home and saying so, you know, oh, he was talking to these guys, you know, I'll call them muscle heads in there. And, you know, they were doing all kinds of different lifts and stuff. And he just started talking to them, trying to figure out, you know, why are you doing that? You know, what's that, what's that do? And so they were, you know, they were bodybuilders and stuff like that. And they were, you know, mm-hmm. explaining to him how, how to do things to get in the best shape. And so he just really, Jump right into it and you know was doing that in high school and then when we went off to college it just continued because they had a trainer there to to work with them and and, and give them specific you know drills and things and uh, once he got out you know it, it just gave him more time to get in the gym and he's mm-hmm. a he's a gym rat he i think mm-hmm. he likes lifting more than he likes practicing hitting golf balls
0: Wow, that's fascinating to hear. I've got a son who's paralleling that exact uh, mindset these days. He tried to play college golf and really fell in love with the fitness. It's it's obviously not affected uh, Brooks's game in a negative way for sure, and uh, it's fascinating to watch these players because they certainly put fitness at the top of their priorities a lot of the times, and um, and I know it's grueling out there. They're traveling, they're playing, they're hitting a lot of balls and they're having to play a lot of rounds. So staying in shape is important for that uh, sustaining themselves week in and week out. Is that, uh, is that something that uh, you feel like Chase is is doing more and more? Uh, how about his preparation? What, what do you see him doing?
1: Yeah, Chase is definitely doing the same things. Um, he doesn't, you know, He's not as big as Brooks physically, so he can't be as aggressive, say, with uh, the weights like Brooks does. But he, he definitely gets after it in the gym. Yeah. Um, you know, I hear from his friends and, and fellow competitors about it when I see him. That You know, he's working hard in there and uh, trying to maximize, you know, his potential. And, um, you know, it's – but the big thing, I think, is not just the lifting part. It's the flexibility. They've got to learn to stretch um and everything so that uh they stay flexible and limber because um, you know that that that's what really i think helps them stay injury free not just being strong but being flexible
0: absolutely absolutely so tell me about your uh your childhood when you did, did, you play a lot of different sports growing up yourself
1: we you know we did a lot of backyard stuff uh, you name it uh, when we were growing up uh had an older brother so I was always playing with kids older than than myself uh, a lot of his friends and then you know my friends joined in and um but I kind of you know was more into baseball than anything and mm-hmm. uh, I, I kind of focused on baseball um I would I excelled at that um I love basketball but I w- <laughs> I was short um I um I finished my junior in high school on the bas- varsity basketball team as the shortest guy, five, five. And, you know, wow. six months later I was six Um, so I, um, I had a fun year of basketball, my senior year in high school and really, uh, kind of blossomed there. But, you know, I went on to play small college baseball as a left-handed pitcher and, um, you know, just enjoyed, enjoyed that. But, uh, we were always competitive and everything, I didn't really play much golf, to be honest with you. Um, Dick had had a golf course that he built when he was done playing professional baseball. And since I didn't play football, and my brother did, once baseball season was over, I would sneak up there for a couple of weeks and hang out with my cousins and hit the ball around a little bit. But I used to always joke in high school that I didn't think golf was a sport. You know, guys that got a Leatherman's jacket for playing golf, you know, it wasn't deserving. And... (laughs) <laughs> it, it's definitely changed my perspective now.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of people had that perspective back in the sixties and the seventies, you know, that golf wasn't a sport. I mean, how could you drink beer and smoke cigarettes and call that a sport, you know, and, while you're doing it, but, uh, you know, it's changed I, a lot.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I remember, um, first time I actually met Tiger Woods and had a chance to talk with him was up at the Ryder cup and I thanked him and he said, for what? I said, for making golf cool again. Because I said, you know, my kids, you know, I think you were a big part of my kids getting involved in golf. And he said, I'm sure you had an impact. And I think kids do, you know, whatever their father does. If their father didn't play golf, there's probably a good likelihood that, you know, the kid wouldn't pick it up. But uh, so I I was playing and, you know, the kids wanted to do what I did. But, you know, Tiger definitely made it cool. And, um, you know, the game has just grown exponentially, since then
0: oh yeah yeah well your influence on your boys you know and tell us our listeners are obviously a lot of them are parents of, of junior golfers and uh, I myself in that category um, tell us as a dad you know what your role was did you did you take them out to the course and and get them lessons did you do it yourself did you coach them along the way did you buy them fitted clubs so tell how did they get into the game and and what was your involvement
1: Basically, in the beginning, you know, I, I just cut down a few of my clubs when they were little. Um, you know, uh, well, actually, I remember when, when Brooks was probably a year and a half old, I got a little plastic set of clubs. Uh, it, had, had one, it had one iron, one driver, and a putter. And the mm-hmm. driver and the irons were angled on both sides, whether you wanted to hit it righty or lefty. and <laughs> Yeah. Uh, you know, he would just whack it around in the house, and then when the ball got airborne, start hitting the windows. It's like we have to go out in the backyard, and um, so it just had him doing a little bit of everything. But that's kind of where he got his first introduction to golf. And then as he got older, I, like I said, I cut down, you know, three or four clubs, and I would take him down to the golf course and um, just let him, you know, hit a few balls on the range. You know, and then he'd mm-hmm. just hop in the cart and ride around with me maybe while I played, you know, six or nine holes or something like that. And I would, you know, tee the ball up at the 150 yards and tell him to hit it and, you know, count how many times it takes to get it in the hole. And I'd pick up the golf balls that I'd hit when, or I'd just be chipping and watching him walking down the fairway. And, um, so just got him out there and let him have a little bit of fun. And I think that's the key is, you know, yeah. one, you have to spend some quality time with your kid, but, uh, he started to enjoy the game that I was enjoying.
0: Yeah. Spending time with dad was probably the biggest reason he wanted to do it too, though, you know?
1: Yeah, and, and I think so. And, you know, I, I I tell everyone, they're like, you know, how'd you get him to hit the ball so good? And I, I told him, you know, golf, you know, being a baseball player growing up, I always thought, you know, hitting a, hitting a curveball or a slider and things like that were – the hardest thing you could do in sports, mm-hmm. uh, but just hitting that white ball sitting still on the ground should be pretty easy, right? Um, but um, you know, as you get involved in it and you realize how difficult it is, um, I made the decision when I took the kids to the range. It didn't matter if they were hitting an iron or what. I teed the ball up for them, okay, and because I think I think young kids have an ego just like we do as adults, mm-hmm. and you know, they get excited when they see the ball going really far. They don't care what direction it goes in. Right. So, you know, I would tee the ball up on the range and I wanted them swinging hard at it. And, um, you know, because if it's on the ground, you, you watch so many people when they first start out, whether it's men or women, they take this big long backswing and then they slow down as they get towards the golf ball to make sure that they can get the, the the club face to make contact with the golf ball
0: right yeah
1: i always use the analogy of riding a bicycle when you first Mm -hmm. get started you start pedaling really slow and Mm -hmm. you have a hard time controlling the bike it starts to you know right all over the place and the faster you pedal the easier it is to stay upright very good golf swing when you try to slow it down you can't keep it on the, the same path or the same plane so right. if they could just swing hard at it and they would get excited when they hit the ball 60 yards to the right, even though they're supposed sure. to hit it straight forward. Sure. And I tell people, I said, you know, if you put the ball on the ground, they're going to chunk it. They're going to hit the ground. They're going to top yeah. it. And they're going to see the ball roll four or five feet off the ground, uh, off you know, in front right. of them. And at some point frustration is going to kick in. Yeah. And they're going to look over at the soccer field and see a kid running up and down there and they're just going to get away from golf. So I teed it up, and then over time, they develop a, enough hand-eye coordination. You just start sneaking the tee lower and lower. Mm-hmm. So eventually, the ball's on the ground, and they don't even know it. And Boy,
0: that is gold right there. That is golden right there. Listeners, uh, pay attention. Dads out there want to get your kids into golf, that is a brilliant thing. And I agree with you 100%. You want to make the game fun and easy. Put it on a tee and let them swing hard at it. Yeah, and they'll learn to get the ball in the way of that swing, won't they?
1: Yeah, and you know what? Um, I was able to – I'm not a golf instructor and never pretended to be, but, um, you know, I I work with both my kids um, to get them to where they had enough hand-eye coordination that they could hit the ball in the direction of the target. It may not, you know, may not go on the green, but it's, you know, it's it's Mm -hmm. at least moving forward. And as I saw, they started developing some, some decent hand-eye coordination. I realized, you know, if they wanted to get better at it, that they need to get the proper instruction. Um, cause you know, they'd asked me how to hit a shot and I taught myself how to play and never had a lesson. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, was fortunate enough to become scratch plus one handicap at, at, at my peak, um, before getting any lessons. And, uh, but maybe the way I was doing it wasn't the proper way. It's just I could figure out a way to do it. Right. And uh so I know when Brooks first started playing some a couple junior tournaments where they played like, you know, nine holes, um, I'd gotten him a junior set. And then I realized I needed to get him all the clubs, not just, you know, the odd numbered irons. Yeah. And um he seemed to like it. He was playing baseball at the time and um, he did roller hockey, he did a number of different things, but, uh, I decided I would put him in, in, in with, uh, my good friend, Warren Botkey, uh, who's a PGA pro. And I, you know, I called Warren up, I'd gotten some lessons from Warren at that time. And, um, we were good friends and played in a couple pro-am things together. And I said, you know, Brooks has got an interest in, in golf and he wants to get better. And I said, I've got a question for you. Would you be interested in working with him? and he said well i've got one condition and i said okay what's that and he said as long as i'm the teacher and you're the dad <laughs> and um you know being typical me i came back to Warren and said well i've got one condition too and he said what's that i said that i can at least come watch the lessons so i can see what you're telling him so that i know what he needs to do when he's practicing yeah I- i don't believe that you just have them go get a lesson two or three times a week i just i don't think you improve on that i think when you go to get a lesson warren was always looking to focus on one thing at a time because he said i think if i give him too much to think about he'll never remember it so he would kind of focus on one thing during a lesson and then he would you know, come with me to the golf course and I'd just watch him hit balls on the range. Didn't try to be his instructor, but I was like, Hey, remember what Warren told you Yeah, and just watch. And I'd reinforce that. And then, you know, after a week or two weeks of doing that, we'd schedule another one. And now Warren would work on something else, but it was, you know, everyone asked me, is there a shortcut? And I said, no, it's, it's really simple. You know, it comes back to PGA position, grip and alignment. Yeah. You know, some people will call it posture, you know, position, but um, those were the things that Warren always started every lesson with and said, if you can get those three things down, he said, you'll have a chance to succeed.
0: Uh, that's great. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of old school that way myself to a degree. I think you, you have, uh, you know, your own way of doing things, but a golfer does have some framework, you know, there's a connection to the club, a connection to the to the ground and a connection to the target that you're trying to make. And, uh, that, that basically sums it up, doesn't it? Fantastic.
1: You know, and I think, I think as parents, what we need to do, and we've all gone, we all have the same issues with our kids. They don't want to listen to us. Um, we think that's unique to us, but it's not. We all have that same (laughs) challenge out there, you know, I'd see Brooks talking to a guy who was a 25 handicap on the range, and then he'd be telling me what this guy was showing him. And I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> you know, that's not what you need to be doing, son. But, um, you know, I, I, there were, you know, the kids, it's a typical, you know, kid. They, they don't think you're getting them, you know, good information or, you know, something's not right. And I, I would always tell my kids, look, you know, I have a vested interest in seeing you do well why would i give you bad information
0: right right
1: and um you know so I, I think the key is just you know be supportive of them and be consistent and i i always lived the theory my parents were never let my brother and i win at anything yeah. um and uh, we play cards when we were three and four years old and you know <sighs> My dad used to say, if you want to win, you better figure out a way, figure out a strategy. Yep. And yep. so I, you know, I did exactly what my mom and dad did. There's not a book on how to raise your kids, but um, you just do what you think is right. I always say, if you just be consistent about it and be honest with them, um, it'll normally work out well. And I, I beat my kids at whatever we did. If we were shooting hoops or we were going out to play golf, i never let them win. And... Mm-hmm my whole theory with that is when he he goes out to compete against his friends, they're not going to let him win either.
0: That's right. If
1: if you let your kid win, he's expecting to win all the time. Mm -hmm. And when he doesn't, you know, how's he going to handle
0: that? Right. Right.
1: I just figured I'm going to prepare him for the real world and uh, make him earn everything he's got.
0: That's great. That's, a, that's a, a kind of a sentiment that I have as well. And I teach these juniors. I say, well, you don't, you don't win all the time. The greatest golfer in the world won maybe 20% of the time they played. I said, but when you're not winning, you're not losing if you're learning. You're, you're going to win or you're going to learn. And that's the way I like to look at it, too. I think there's opportunities when you don't come out on top. Can you learn something from that experience that's going to help you prepare next time? And that's what you're trying to teach them how to win. It, it's a process, and they have to, they have to learn to, lo- you know, learn to lose and and uh, learn from losing.
1: You know, it's funny you, you say that. Um, you know, there's always kids that are advanced at a young age. And they they seem to get be better than other kids at that age, no matter what. And Brooks was he, he played his first little nine hole tournament when he was seven, and I, I'd say he was about nine years old. And, um, one day we were just sitting around the house and he said, I, you know, I just, I want to beat Kenny Leach this weekend in the tournament. I'm like, no, you don't. He said, yeah. I just want to beat Kenny. And I said to him, Brooks, your goal isn't to beat Kenny. It's to beat the golf course. Right. Kind of looked at me funny. And I said, if you beat the golf course, you'll beat Kenny. Yeah. And we took him up to Vero beach that weekend. And it was the first time it was going to be an 18-hole tournament. They were going to play nine Saturday and nine Sunday. And he, for nine holes, Brooks got the lead. So he is just so excited. And normally he would have won the tournament, but this was not a nine-hole tournament. And we went to the ice cream shop down the beach that night. And we walk in there, and there's four or five of his buddies in the tournament. And they're all like, man, Brooks, you're winning. And god he was grinning from ear to ear and and everything and you know he was so proud and full of himself and come sunday we get to the golf course and you know all you can do is just walk around and watch you know you can't offer advice or do anything and you know watching the nine holes go by and boom all of a sudden that lead starts shrinking and everything and and um Kenny came back, and and his other nemesis was the kid, Jack Beindorf, that went to Auburn and played at Auburn and lefty. And Brooks finished third. And I saw him in the scoring tent, and I'm standing outside there. And he comes running out of that scoring tent, and he's flying right at me. And I kind of bend over a little bit, and he just jumps right in my arms. And his legs are wrapped around my waist, and his arms around my shoulders. And he's crying on my shoulder. And I said, What's wrong, son? And he's sniffling and going, you know, I lost. I said, yeah, I know, but you came in third and he's crying. He's, it, you know, it hurts. And I said, well, you remember how this feels? And he said, yeah. And I said, well, remember it. And I said, and do everything you can next time not to have this same feeling. I said, you yeah. got to learn how to lose first son before you can learn to win.
0: That's fantastic. Wow. What a great story. Well, I'm sure that was impactful uh, in so many ways, and and that's that to to your brilliance right there. You're just a fantastic dad. I, I try to help my my players and their parents kind of navigate the the waters of competitive events like golf, and you know it's a hard game, and you're not always going to be on top. Um, but that's that's the lesson we're trying to teach these kids really as to how to deal with those those, uh, shortcomings and, and how to be stronger, you know, be stronger people, be stronger competitors. And, um, that's part of the process. I think that's great. So as you're, uh, you, you're telling some great stories and you get in the car with your, with your boy and make those long journeys after a, a tournament, you know, you, you're probably the kind of dad that sits and listens more than, than talks. And that's really, uh, I think a powerful thing to do, um, with these kids after they played events, tell us some of the some of those stories where you're on the road and you're watching him play and you know he opens up and says, "Hey, dad, thanks. What what at what point do you feel like you started to understand you know how helpful you had been and and has there been a moment like that where he's come around and said, "Dad, Daddy, I really appreciate all the time you spent with me taking me to these tournaments and stuff." Where where did that take place?
1: I think they get into their mid-teens, you know, is when they really start to appreciate. It. I think when they're younger, they just kind of think that's what you're supposed to do. And I don't think they understand because, you know, people always say, you know, you know Brooks has put a lot of work in or Chase has put a lot of work in, but I think the whole family does. The whole family, you know, makes a sacrifice in order for um, an athlete in any sport to, to get to the collegiate level, let alone the professional level. And, you know, most of us, Uh, I never had any expectations of my kids playing professionally. I got them into golf, hoping that when they got out of college, that we could go play golf together on the weekend. Right. At the local club and, and everything. So um, you can't put too much pressure on them to try and do that. But um, the one, I guess the earliest story riding in the car um, with Brooks, I can recall he was in the sixth grade and he, made his high school golf team because in in Florida if you go to a small school and it's at one location you can you can actually play in the sixth grade and so he he made the team and it was a small little Christian school and um he you know he was tickled to death with himself um but you know he definitely wasn't a big pond uh, a big fish in the small in a small pond so anyways he um I think it was about the second or third nine hole match and he shot like 39. And I mean, to be honest with you, he had to hit nine drivers because he couldn't reach the par threes. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the par fives, he'd be hitting driver three wood three wood wedge and par fours. He's hitting driver three wood wedge, you know, and I used to tell yeah. him just try and steal as many pars as you can and you keep it at bogey. You'll, you'll probably do okay. But we're driving home and Brooks and Chase are in the back seat and, Brooks just comes out with an announcement in four years, he's going to quit school and turn pro in the 10th grade.
0: <laughs>
1: I, um, my wife tells a story that she said, if you could have seen the look on your face, I pulled the car off the road and put it in park and turned around and told him, I said, <laughs> you, so you think you're going to turn pro and drop out of school? I said, well, let <laughs> me just explain something to you, son. You will finish high school. I said, you will go to college. And I said, and if you're still playing golf in college and you're good enough, then you can turn pro, but not until yeah. then. Um, you know, we've had many a good talks and, you know, and uh, my wife will, will remind me sometimes that I talk more sometimes than I listen. Um, but those, those are really good times. I think where sometimes it's just you and your son or your daughter riding in the car and, you know, you get to hear, you know, what their perspective was and, I, um, I always try to go to, uh, I didn't go to every tournament and walk every hole, but I tried to, especially when they were growing up, because I felt like it was important to watch what they were doing. And, and if there was any way I could help them, uh, maybe to think differently or something like that, that, um, you know, we could talk about it on the car ride home. Mm-hmm. And, Cause I've had many parents say, Oh, I, I don't go out and watch my kid. He doesn't want me out there. <laughs> And I'm just like, wait a second. I don't get this. You just sit in the clubhouse or sit in the car, you know, for four hours waiting for them to come in. And they're like, yeah, he gets nervous. I'm like, well, then he or she'll never make it. Right. I I always told my kids, I said, look, if you think I'm not coming out, you're crazy. I said, I paid the entry fee. I'm coming to watch the show.
0: You're darn right. Yeah.
1: I, I did was, you know, I'd write notes down. I always had a scorecard and, you know, I'd write down if they hit the fairway or they hit it in the water, whatever they did. And, yeah. and I'm, you know, if, if I saw him making a bad decision, I would just kind of write a little note down on the scorecard. And so when we're riding home, I was like, you know, what were you, what were you trying to do on hole 13? You know, with your, with your second shot and, you know, and he'd explain, you know, what he was trying to do. And, and I said, well, did you ever think about doing this instead? Yeah. You know, do you ever think, you know, maybe why why take out the 60-degree lob wedge and try and flop it up onto the green when you got 50 feet of green that pins in the back and you're right off the front edge? Yeah. You think about getting a little bump and run because you don't know if that, you know, lob wedge. Is. And so just trying to get them to think, and they're like, oh, I didn't think of that. And I'm like, well, maybe next time you're in that position, you'll remember that. And, you know, it's a better shot. It's a shot that's going to, be more successful more often than your than your lob wedge is and you know, that's the reason why you've got 14 clubs and uh you know so we just talked about things like that and you know there was one other funny story i remember brooks getting in the car with me and complaining that he didn't sleep well the night before and you know he had a little bit of a head cold and everything and so we you know got in the car and You know, I said, oh, hey, did you hear about, you know, little Johnny, you know, had all kinds of issues and, um, you know, something happened with his mom, something happened with his dad, and I had made the whole thing up, but I didn't tell him, and I said, you think we ought to give Johnny a couple extra shots off his score today? He looked at me (laughs) kind of crazy and said, uh, well, no, why would we do that? I'm like, well, all the issues he's going through, maybe we need to make him feel better and everything, and. And and Brooke's like, no, we're not doing that. I said, well, then no one wants to hear about the fact that you didn't sleep well.
0: (laughs) That's great. Yeah. Give them a perspective of their own. Yeah. That's really good.
1: Sometimes you have to mentally challenge them. I mean, I remember another time, you know, he got in the car. I said to him, I said, what club are you going to play with today? And he kind of looked at me funny. And I said, what club are you going to use today? He said, well, I'm going to use them all. And I said, no, you, you have to use one club today. And, and he's like, what do you mean I have to use one club? And I said, yeah, you have to hit one club the whole way around. And, and he's like, well, is everybody else? And I said, no. <laughs> and, and he's like, well, that's not fair. And I said, it's not. And he's like, yeah. I said, well, what's the problem? He said, well, that's going to be really hard. And I said to him, you know, Brooke's going through life with only one option. Is going to be really hard too Yeah, he always had the mentality of, I don't want to do anything other than play golf. Right. I, wow. you got to have a backup plan. And, you know, he and Chase always said, we don't have a backup plan. You know, if we, if we have a backup plan and then we won't work hard enough to make sure that plan A works.
0: Wow. That's brilliant. That is fantastic right there. Great perspective there. That is really good stuff. i tell you what, man, it leaves me speechless for a second thinking about, uh, you know, that that introspective uh, approach you've taken. has been very powerful, obviously, um, teaching all the time. That's what good dads do. My dad's that way. Um, you know, he, he teaches in those types of ways, and uh, I'm very thankful for that. So I'm sure your boys will come to a day where they'll be the same kind of dad you are and, and pass some of that wisdom along to their kids and, that's really cool, really good stuff. So, as a golfer, you know you um, you got four hole in ones from what I understand. That's a total count at the moment. So, you're a good golfer, good player, carrying a, a single digit handicap, or maybe even close to scratch there at your own club. Um, are you into uh, Are you into instruction for yourself these days? Or are you still a uh, play it by you know the way you learned?
1: I um, I go see Warren probably maybe once. A year, probably on average. Yeah. And it's funny because when I call him, he's like, 911. <laughs> uh, yeah, we got an emergency. Um, you know, I, the thing I really appreciate about Warren um, is he would always explain what he was doing, or, you know, that you could watch the golf ball and it will tell you what you're doing wrong. Mm-hmm. And he would explain, he said, you know, if the ball's going right, it's one of these three things. Mm -hmm. If it's going left, it's one of these three and everything. And so I was one that I could just watch the golf ball, whether it was Chase hitting it or Brooks hitting it or even myself and say, okay, it's one of these three problems. Mm -hmm. And so I could always kind of figure it out. Um, and you know, the biggest challenge for me sometimes is you start tinkering a little too much. Mm-hmm. And, you know, next thing you know, you're al- my biggest challenge is my alignment gets off and I get closed. So I don't think I'm closed, but I am. Mm-hmm. So as a result, my hands just will, will kind of adapt and mm-hmm. I'll pull inside trying to make up for the, the bad alignment. So now all of a sudden I've created a second problem you know, mm-hmm. come to the top with my swing or whatever, and um, so I, I just learned to try and keep it as simple as possible. Because um, that's how I learned. You know, I watched somebody uh, when I was at my uncle's golf course. I'd see a guy hitting shots, and I'm like, wow, that guy's really good. And so if I was out ranging, I just kind of see that guy hit this one shot and. Later on, if he came into the bar and I was bartending, you know, I'd say, Hey, Alan, I saw you on the eighth hole and you had that shot down here in the left rough and you just threw that thing up there and landed so soft. How'd you do that? And then I'd go out and practice it. So, um, you know, I I just um, always been able to pick things up uh, and and kind of work it out. But uh, I I used to always joke is the two things that kind of screwed up my golf game was uh, my kids and the golf channel because <laughs> um, when you start to struggle, which we all will at some point in time or another, I mean, you know, with golf, you never own your game, your swing, you just rent it. And, um, so as I was struggling, I'd be going, geez, on the golf channel, they said, if you're blocking it, you know, you ought to do this, <laughs> you know, you start changing everything and now you get yourself real out of whack and, you know, that's when you make the nine one one call to Warren. Yeah. Um, or we'd be on the range and my kids would be like, hey, dad, you got to make sure you keep them. I never thought technique. I never thought about my golf swing. I picked up the game and, you know, I grabbed an eight iron and said, okay, that goes 155 or 160 yards. And all I cared about was how far out I was. You know, I put the club behind the ball and I swung at it and I hit it. Yeah. Uh, I use the analogy when I would shoot free throws. I didn't worry about where my elbow was and, you know, where my head was and did I have my hand over here. I just let my instincts take over, and I kind of did that with golf. And, you know, the kids were getting lessons, and Chase would always, you know, Dad, you need to do this or you need to do that. And mm-hmm. I said they screwed up my golf game. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> They're always listening. I know they have a lot of great coaches in their, in their ear constantly, you know, telling them the next greatest physical thing that they need to do to to create more speed or more, you know, more control of their trajectory or whatever they're working on. And, you know, those technical uh, approaches to the game for most people um, are going to confuse them or leave them thinking too much. And, you want to understand what, what's required, but as simply as possible, golf needs to be a fun game. And certainly you don't think about how you're going to walk from point A to point B. Uh, and most days we do it pretty well and don't fall down. So obviously there's a way our body and brain can communicate that message to move and move the golf ball. But, yeah, you're right. Watching the ball and learning how to diagnose things from what the ball is telling you is, is the best way to play, uh, I think, uh, more fun. You're, you're trying to control the ball ultimately in game. So golf is what the ball does. That wasn't my saying. I think that was John Jacobs that said that. But golf is what the ball does.
1: Yeah. and You know, I, I always tell people I, the thing that I, I hear people going, oh, my kid, you know, he's already hitting a draw and he's hitting a fade. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, just forget that stuff. You know, the hardest thing to do is hit a straight shot. Yeah. Learn how to hit a straight shot. And then that tells me that you can, you can square the club face up, you know, mm-hmm. you can turn it down the line and, and you, you've got it, you know, if you can hit it straight. And then I, I thought the second most important thing was flighting the golf ball. Mm-hmm. And um, I always made sure, and I didn't know how to do it. I kind of did it my way, but like I said, it wasn't necessarily the correct way, but once the kids got, you know, to the point where they could hit it straight. Um, you know, I made sure that they got with the instructor and learned how to flight it because mm-hmm. if you can take it and flight a golf ball, you've got tremendous advantages, whether it's windy conditions or, you know, downwind into the wind, uh, you know, right to left doesn't matter. Um, if you can hit it straight and you can control the ball flight, you'll learn how to fade it and draw it.
0: That's right. I've se- I saw on social media, you had a, a picture of being in Ireland, I believe it was, was that this year, or was that last year you were uh, over?
1: That was last year for the um, uh, the Open Championship up at Port Rush.
0: Yeah. Did you get to play any yourself while you were over? I sure
1: did. I uh, had an opportunity to play three different times there. I played uh, a course down in Waterville called Hogshead. Uh-huh. Uh, nice length style course, and then played uh, La Hinch. Gotcha. Um, okay great golf course. They, uh, they had just hosted the Irish open, uh, I think like three weeks before that. Right. Really neat little town, great golf course, a lot of history there. It's been there over a hundred years. And, um, then I played up at Port Stewart up in Northern Ireland. Uh, I, I really wouldn't count that as a round of golf. I mean, uh, <laughs> it was pouring down rain and, um, I had got the opportunity to go over there and play this course and, um, I thought, you know, I got to go anyways. My wife dropped me off, and she said, I don't think you're going to be able to play. And I said, well, let me see. I had my rain gear and everything. And we were on the, the – the guy at the pro shop said, I can, you can play by yourself, or I can put you with three young gentlemen. And <clears throat> I said, no, I'd rather play with some guys. And, and uh, so it, it lightened up to a light drizzle when we were on the putting green. And uh, by the time we got to the first tee, it was pouring down rain. Yeah. and those guys said, well, we're playing. And I looked and I said, I don't want to be one of those Americans that wimps out on (laughs) us. They think there's something wrong with us. And so we played in 18 holes of pouring down rain and I've never been so wet in my life. And, um, but I I became friends with those three and I saw all three of them over at the tournament. And I think it was two months ago in February, the one uh, called me he was coming here to Florida and uh, he came down with his dad and, and his brother and uh, I host him at the club here and we went out and had lunch and, and played 18 holes and told some stories so I you know uh, made a friend for life
0: oh absolutely yeah I got to go last August and played with some buddies in, in Ireland we played uh, eight rounds of golf in a 10-day stretch there last August and man I tell you what a trip that was You're talking about flighting the golf ball and seeing all the different weather conditions in, in a four hole stretch. You saw all four seasons. It, it was very, very fun. Very, very good time. Yeah. I loved it over there. The people were so nice. The food was amazing. The golf was spectacular. Just, it was a lot of fun. Can't yeah. Get if
1: anybody gets a chance, they got to go there. I mean, there's just an unlimited supply of great golf courses and they love to see Americans over there and the Irish people just treat you
0: yeah yeah absolutely friends for life for sure once you go and uh i can't recommend that trip enough for sure well i'll tell you my friend you you um you know you you can really pick up uh, in talking to you uh just how down to earth you are and and there's a reason that your your family is successful um not just on the golf course but as people and um you know i'd love to have you back on very soon it really seems um Seems like you've done everything a parent can possibly do to create young, healthy um, you know, humans there. Kudos to you for, for doing that. Um
1: Thank you. Hopefully we're talking about some live golf.
0: <laughs> yeah. I would love to do that. Love to have you play a little golf. And you're gonna come up this way for uh any tournaments in the next uh year or so i know you'll be going towards augusta probably in uh, november what do you think that tournament's going to be like in the fall of the year
1: you know that's going to be really interesting um always been my favorite tournament i i was fortunate enough um i hired a gentleman to work for me that uh uh, lived outside of uh, augusta and uh he had had tickets i didn't know it at the time because i we were talking, I was I was trying to get him to come to work for me, He was working for a competitor and he uh I asked him, you know, Oh, where's that? And he said, You ever hear of Augusta? And I said, Yes. I said, Always wanted to go there. And uh he says, Well, he said, I've got two tickets and I said him, I said, Philip, there's nothing to negotiate. Tell me what you want. You, yeah. you got it. And um he had given me the tickets and uh, had the pleasure of of taking taken my father, my brother, my wife, a couple friends, and I've taken both kids there. I took Brooks there when he was eight years old because um, he had gotten a hole in one at a little par uh, three golf course. And he was there when Jose Marie won. And um, I just had some special times at that place and mm-hmm. uh, had chase there when Tiger won the tiger slam in 2000 and, Oh, wow. I think it's going to be really interesting because uh, one year I was there when they didn't have the azaleas. They bloomed too early. Um, yeah. So it's going to look really different. Um, I don't know what kind of uh, color they can put in that place uh, in November. Um, you know, the um, the golf course I think will play a lot different um, because at that time of year it could be really cold. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the golf ball won't go as far. Um don't know about wind direction and stuff like that. But, uh, you know, typically as, as seasons approach the, the direction of the winds will change, which could make a big impact. Um, mm-hmm. you know, um, maybe the par fives, uh, won't be as reachable with, with, you know, I'll call mid irons or short irons mm-hmm. for those guys. Uh, maybe they're going to be back there trying to get a long iron in or even a wood, um, mm-hmm. so they might find themselves laying up more, um, but I, I know that the the powers that be there will have that course in the the best possible shape at that time of year. And so it will be um, really interesting to see how it's oh. played in November. And then, of course, won't be long six months later, be back there again. So right. whoever wins that green jacket will be the shortest stint ever. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. Well, that's definitely something to look forward to. As I mentioned, you know, having you back on the show soon. I'd love to have you back on after the boys get back out in the competitive arena playing a little bit. We can chat about things as they progress. And uh, you've been a great guest, Mr. Kepka. I really appreciate you taking time to join us today. Is there anything you want to leave us with? Any final comments that you want to pass on to the listeners as as we get close to a, a season of golf?
1: Well, I just hope everybody stays safe out there and, and uh, comes out of this healthy and, um, you know, gets out there and enjoys the game of golf for them personally on the golf course, as well as watching the guys play. And I know I miss, uh, seeing that live competition and, uh, I look, you know, I look forward to, we can get back to everybody, um, you know, enjoying it and hearing the roars of the crowds and, um, the only thing I would just tell everybody is to just continue to enjoy the game. It's it's, it's a great game. Uh, you can play it your whole life, and there's challenges all the way through, whether you're a scratch golfer or, uh, you know, an 18 handicap. You can always get better and uh, just uh, understand where you are in the game and don't be afraid to move forward and play a shorter tee. As, as we get older, we don't hit it as far as we used to.
0: Yeah, that's fantastic advice. It certainly is. Well, listen, thank you so much. Uh, and stay safe and healthy with your family down there in South Florida. And best of luck to your boys this year as they get back in that competitive arena playing some golf. Look forward to pulling for them and seeing more major championships come your way. Um, in, uh, if our fans and, and listeners want to reach out to you through social media, should they use a particular platform? Are you uh, Are you okay with they send you a message on Facebook to say hello and thank you for being on?
1: Yeah no problem. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, um, as well. And I enjoy, you know, following everything that has to do with golf. It's, uh, it's my passion and, uh, uh, whether it's my boys or like I said, just the game in in particular, I, I love it. And, uh, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on here with you and hope to see you sometime soon.
0: Yeah. Likewise, sir. It's been my pleasure. I want to thank you and, uh, best of luck to you guys. We'll speak soon. Listeners, that's been our show. Um, we've been very honored to have Bob Kepka with us. Uh, certainly uh, a great conversation about uh, his boys and his love of the game. Uh, some great advice there. If you'll listen back, parents, you know, your junior golfers are in good hands. If you follow the, the Bob Kepka handbook, we're going to start talking about that in all my junior programs. And it's a very, very good, solid advice there, raising youngsters in the game. So uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, We'll have another great guest on next time. This has been The Forecast. I'm your host, Alan Burton, saying farewell and stay safe, golfers. Looking forward to a better year, 2020. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community.